Hey, hey, this is John Goldman. You're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash uh, on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and 93.5 WRHZ out of Sawyer, Michigan. And today I'm welcoming the Bergamot, which is made up of Jillian Spies, husband and wife group, Jillian Spies, and Nathaniel Hoff. And they're both playing, uh, they're playing at the Acorn Theater this Friday night, December 10th. Uh, they're doing their, their regular Christmas show. Uh, and in fact, they put out an album based on their last show, and they're calling it a South Shore Christmas, live at the uh, Acorn Theater. And I'm welcome today with uh, my co-host, Adam Conley, who's not quite mic'd up yet, but we'll take care of that right after this song. Here there's uh, off their uh, South Shore Christmas album. It's called a Cr- The Christmas Song. And here we go. Here we go. All right, I... Can't say what's going on here. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Frost nipping at your nose. You tie cares being sung by her choir and flows dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe.
And so I'm offering this simple phrase From kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said many times, many ways Merry Christmas Merry Christmas Merry Jillian, Nathaniel, how you guys doing today? We're doing great. We're doing awesome. All right. And uh, yeah, we were just talking about how um, you're going to be playing live at the liver at the uh, livery at the Acorn Theater on Friday, December 10th. This is not your first rodeo at the Acorn Theater. <laughs> That's right. You know what? We uh, we played there in 2017 as our first ever christmas inspired concert and we've brought it back every year except for last year in which we did something new that we've never done during 2020 we actually posted a christmas special that was filmed in 2019 at the acorn and that's up on youtube on the bergamot our youtube channel and it, that was one of the craziest things to pull off it was a full-blown <laughs> live vir virtual christmas special and uh, but we can't wait to be back in real life in person on Friday night with the full band. Oh, wow. So I, I guess I just to clarify then for 2020, this time of the year, 2020, uh, you went to the Acorn. But instead of playing in front of an audience, you just filmed it and then had it as like a virtual concert. Yeah. So actually, the way that it went down was it was kind of one of these destiny miracle situations. Uh, we actually uh, had some friends of ours record the video uh, of us performing in 2019. Uh -huh. um, and so he had recorded the video and about we all kind of forgot about the video. And so eight months later, a couple of months before Christmas 2020, he reached out and was like, hey, you guys should should try and do something with this video. I just remembered I have it. And it would be really cool to, you know, maybe post something from the concert, maybe a couple videos. And I was like, well, why don't we just try to put together a whole special using like almost an hour and a half worth of footage. And we ended up pulling it off. Uh, we reached out to the sound guy who ran the sound for the night. He had recorded the audio. I mean, it was just kind of one of those serendipitous moments that um, it was kind of destiny meets opportunity. And uh, we created the Christmas special that was recorded the year before and was able to share it last year. And then this year it came out on Spotify as well. So it was an, it was an insane thing to do, but we were super happy with the way it turned out. Okay, I got it. So it wasn't a live thing you did last year. It was uh, actually the recording from 2019. Which is exactly. which you've put out on Spotify as an album, and uh, actually we yep. uh, we listened to it a little bit right before you got on. We um, played the um, the Christmas song from that album. So, yeah, but that awesome. explains that a little bit more. So I, I get yeah. it now. So uh, it's sort of with this this spontaneous or uh, opportunistic opportunity to uh, to um, take that show from 2019. 
and roll with it. And, and you have another album on your Spotify um, account. Yep. Terrific. Which, which was really cool and, and totally unexpected. And yeah. One of the little gems of that album that we have not really done on live albums before is that uh, we have a bunch of tracks on there um, that are like uh, bumps between songs. So yeah. there's, uh, you kind of hear stories and backgrounds. And so if you've heard the song Young Again by us, you get a chance. There's like a minute and a half story that kind of explains. So it's really cool how it's like kind of like a little bit of a podcast, a little bit of a uh, live show in the way that you can go to those tracks and hear more about um, some of our favorite songs and some of the songs from the night. Oh, right. Yeah, I see that. Uh, so with the recording that you put up on YouTube, is that also available through Spotify? Is that part of uh, this Spotify album? Yes. So, oh, okay. So you can watch the, yeah. each one of these tracks has video associated with it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And you guys are not new to, um, the whole film, uh, genre, right? Like aren't you've been working on a documentary for a while, right? Yes, for quite a while, and we are really, really excited because we are launching it into the world in 2022. Oh, great. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Am I correct that it's based on, you know, your travels and, and um, tell me about it? <laughs> sure, yeah. <Okay. laughs> so in 2016, we decided to pack up our station wagon. That was a 2002 station wagon with just like backpacks and gear and tour to all 50 states performing 263 concerts over an eight month period and we did it during the election period of 2016 and our whole goal was to bring americans together through the power of music community and collaboration and we recorded that entire tour and it really changed our life because after each show we had everyone take a Sharpie and write their message of unity on our station wagon inside and outside the car. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> gotta be one, one, uh, one Sharpied car. Oh yeah. It was wild. The whole car was tattooed in messages of unity from every type of American you could possibly imagine. We even had Brits uh, from London sign it and they were like apologizing for Brexit and like we had, um, you know, gangsters writing graffiti on the car. It was everything <laughs> happened to this station wagon you could possibly imagine. Uh, it broke down multiple times. And so we filmed that entire eight-month period. And our whole goal is to show people that, you know, in a polarized American culture, that unity is possible, but in a completely different way than we originally imagined before we went out on that tour. Right. Oh, wow. So are there a lot of voiceovers that you guys have been working on all these years since then? Uh, or, you know, what, what kind of additional things we've been doing to finalize the movie? Yeah. Um, that's a big part of it. So voiceovers are really huge. Um, kind of figuring out, um, you know, when we had, uh, about 32 gigs worth of material that we had to work through, we also had to kind of figure out exactly what was the storyline. Cause when you capture as much as we did out on the road, it was hard to kind of intertwine all that into a thematic sequence for a right. film. So kind of had to really land on what it was, the story that we were trying to tell and, and tell it in a way that was interesting, but also entertaining because it's a 90 minute film and we want people to enjoy it from start to finish. So, um, and another thing was working on the score, um, working on the music, 
we had Mayflies drop during the last, during the time we've been working on this film. We have a new album that will be dropping next year with the film. Um, and a lot of those songs found their way onto the film as well. So um, it was a bit, it's just been, you know, you kind of work. We didn't realize how much work it would be to create a documentary. And we're kind of glad that we didn't. Um, it, so we've gotten to the point where we've worked as hard as we can and then we get burned out and then we kind of take time off to work on new new songs or learn new material and then go back to it and different people have come on and off to help us edit the film as well um which has been a, a process unique in in and of itself just you know having a project last this long i mean people go through a lot of life in five years including ourselves so right. trying to make the film the best it can be and um and it's been it's been a journey, but we've learned a lot and uh, we're very thankful for that. And it's helped to influence our music and ultimately make us uh, refine us as people, because when you go out and throw yourself out into the world with no great expectation and kind of are lifted up by the, the spirits of others and the, and the good wishing of others, um, it kind of teaches you a lot about life and humanity. And I think the film does a good job of relaying that message. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of questions along the lines of the. Uh, you know, the actual um, filming and and uh, the production of it. But, you know, the one thing that strikes me before I even get to that is it sounds like you had one thought about what to what you were going to be able to do, what you expected to do, and it turned into something totally different. <laughs> yeah. So what was your original um, plan with the uh, with the movie just to sort of documented and but and, and then after you got into it then you realize that there's more to it than that how did it all develop yeah totally um so i mean the, the way that the film starts and the way that we have it starting right now um we basically as soon as we decided that we wanted to do this we turned on a camera and we just started filming everything from planning to the chaos of we were living in new york city at the time struggling to make ends meet uh, playing shows all the time, traveling up and down the seaboard. And so we just turned on a camera and we started. And like any ambitious artist does, you think, how hard could this be? Um, and so we just started filming everything. And throughout the first couple of months, we thought, oh, you know, we're just going to capture what people think unity is. And that's where the film started. And then we started making our way to all 50 states and we didn't realize how taxing of a journey that it was going to be on us physically and also mentally, because at that time, you know, we were going through a really uh, very uh, polarizing election and things were happening right. in the country that were kind of changing. We all remember what happened in 2016. And that's when we were out on the road. Yeah. And so we didn't real we didn't really realize how important um, of a time we were capturing, because at that time, I remember people were very optimistic about what was happening in, in the future. And and so we were just capturing one by one. And so. Along the way, though, we had break-ins, we had breakdowns, we had uh, moment, big moments that we thought were going to happen that fall through, and so uh, financial setbacks. And um, I mean, we, you know, took on a huge amount of debt just to finish the project, and so that became a storyline about how are we going to finish this, and and um, and so the story went from kind of oh yeah, let's just capture what people are saying about unity, to you know, it starts there, and then it ultimately turns into this story of human perseverance and human um empathy and understanding and resilience because you know traveling to all 50 states on the you know seat of your pants is a lot more complicated and writing music along the way as well 
it was just a crazy process that ultimately told a different story than what we thought but it's really a story that we think that showcases human empathy and the concern and the optimism that people have about unity and what it means going forward and um and then you know and then we had to do interviews with people we did interviews with professors that we really believe in and to help to kind of gel the story together with some context so that people can watch the film and not only feel like it's a fun and entertaining film but also uh, an educational piece as well where you can learn we hope you can learn something from the film when you walk away from it you hit on something really big there which is that you started out with one thing and it turned into another and that kind of remind. i mean i think a lot of documentaries end up doing that because you know, they think that, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a documentary. There was that one where the guy uh, uh, was um, like a bike rider and he wanted yeah. to dope himself, you know, and he wanted to like see what was going on with that. So he, he brought in this guy from um, Russia who turns out that he that the Russian guy uh, had some uh, involvement in uh, instructing the uh, Russian uh, Olympic team, how to dope themselves and escape detection and all that. And it then turned into this whole documentary about this guy and to protect him and uh, just crazy stuff like that. But you guys had a different kind of, you know, discovery as you're going through. And that was that, Hey, we're, we're not going to be a, you know, a democratically run, um, uh, um, you know, uh, white house anymore. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, Donald Trump's in office and and everything is, uh, you know, going on its uh, on its head along those lines and and how people responded to that. Uh, so, yeah. So when did you turn off the cameras? Is, I, I guess I should ask. Uh, taking the shot. <laughs> Are you still have on? <laughs> yeah. The only the only time we, the cameras were always off and like, you know, I don't know, even like some of our most like vulnerable moments where we're like crying or like we had gotten broken in. Yeah. Um, but they finally officially turned off on October 22nd after that date, October 22nd of 2021, 2016. Oh, okay. So, yep. so it started January 2nd, 2016 and finished October 22nd, 2016. And, uh, we finished because we came back to our hometown after doing all 50 states to do a grand finale concert at the Morris Performing Arts Center. And the we actually were raising funds for, then it was called Memorial Children's Hospital. Now it's called Beacons Children's Hospital to help bring on a full-time music therapist there. So we had a big grand finale benefit concert on October 22nd. That's a big venue. You guys sound like you playing all kinds of venues and to, and to get gigs in all 50 states in order to be able to do this, this documentary was that, that was a feed in and of itself. To... Uh, it was <laughs> the biggest headache. It was so stressful. I can't even explain how, like I would get like an eye twitch from the anxiety of trying to <laughs> like, it was overwhelming beyond measure. Cause I was managing that, tour co-managing at the time with with one of our teammates in uh new york but i was the overall head uh wow. person so it was it was wild oh. like it was just insane yeah i mean and a real education all around with all kinds of different stuff i mean so right. is that sort of the first time that you were trying to get gigs in places that had no idea who you were i'm, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing I mean, that you know like we started touring in 
2010 and we had toured with a booking agent to 43 different cities and that was like nobody in the world even knew who we were we barely knew who we were and um, <laughs> and so you know we were familiar with the process of booking things in locations where people don't know who you are but with that said the grand scale of doing 263 shows right in so many cities was like insane because 263 market, shows in in one year not even a year 10 months eight, Eight months. Eight months. And to, uh, I mean, that's more than, well, I mean, that's a for a week. Oh, yeah. yeah. And sometimes we would do two shows in a day, depending on the location. And, I mean, we played uh, festivals. We played very, very small, intimate venues. We played larger venues. But uh, sometimes we would do backyards, living rooms, on top of the vehicle wow. in, like, a really populated street we did that in south carolina and uh charleston which was really successful because it was like a sunday and everyone was downtown walking the street and so and then we would explain from the top of the car what we were doing and it was just you know for for me personally it was a once in a lifetime experience it's something that given the times now you could never go back and do that ever again the way we did it um just with what we're, li we're all living through yeah and the memories of what the people that we met and how they personally inspired us to persevere because it was very challenging. It was almost like a musical boot camp with a mission of spreading peace and positivity and, and really deep diving into what the heck is unity. We live in a tremendously polarized America. It's only getting more polarized to the day. I mean, we're five years out from the beginning of that project and it's way more polarized now than when we started. And at some point as Americans, we're going to have to, really realize how are we going to bind the fabric of our nation back together? How can we do this in a productive way and, and not create a homogeny because unity is not homogeny. It will never be that. It will yeah. never be the sameness of thinking. So we realized that through what we did, the power of art is one of the only ways that we have found that you can actually do that in a productive and peaceful uh, gathering with, with people who don't think or view anything the same. Have you found uh, that, you know, since you started even thinking about this back in 2016, that the, uh, the differences with people isn't, isn't even like how it used to be? You know, there was a pretty sharp divide. You had the, you know, the mm -hmm. people that wanted to vote for Trump and the people that didn't. And that was, yep. a, you know, a, a, but now it's, it's splintered all over the place. You know, you've got, uh, you know, people that, uh, you know, you got the Republicans and then the Trump Republicans and then the non-Trump Republicans and you have uh, the Democrats and and uh, people yeah. that that want to wear a mask and people that don't want to wear a mask, people that want to get yeah. vaccinated, people that don't. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's You know, there's these splits, but they're not <laughs> just along party lines anymore. So there's almost a homogeny in the lack of uh, cohesiveness and the lack of <laughs> unity these days. It's like the mm -hmm. one common thing is right. sort of uh, all the differences that are going on here, all the dichotomies. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest things that um, we kind of looked at the film and one of the best quotes that actually came out of one of the interviews of our film is that it's not unity and moving forward, um, that the actual word unity and the idea of unity can actually be a hindrance to development because a lot of people view unity as it's a 
uh, vision of a shared future. Um, and so, or it's a, it's a shared vision of a future. Uh-huh. So right, right. it's like, everybody has to look at this future and think, okay, we have one way to get to the future. And we all have to agree that this is the only way to go forward. But truly what unity looks like is that there are many views of how to go forward. And it's actually a vision of a shared future that we're going after. And, you know, when you see, you know, people with different views and different you know, perspectives and, and everybody comes from a different background. And but the truth is that in America, that that's actually one of the things that can be a good thing for America, because um, it's it's when you look at the different visions and you look at the different ways forward, it's just that we have to continue to hold space for each other and that it's OK to disagree. I think that the biggest thing right. that we also look at in the film as well is that when people think, oh, I don't agree with that person, they think, well, I, I must hate that person. And the truth is, is that that is not the case, that you can actually be civilized with each other, have disagreements, but be able to find common ground. And one of the things that we found with the film, you know, going out for a children's hospital and being able to donate the proceeds of the auction of the Unity Car in the final finale uh, for the children's hospital is that you know, taking care of children is actually one thing that does unite us. And (laughs) (laughs) there are things that, you know, if we all want to focus on the only the issues that divide us and conquer us, um, then we can be divided and we can be divisive. But if we can look at common issues that actually unite us, there's actually opportunity there for us to grow and to actually agree on things that can bring us together and ultimately pave a better path forward. But when we're taught that there's no path forward, that the only way forward is to is to hate each other and just not agree on anything, then ultimately we're left in a stagnant position. And that's dangerous, not only for us as individuals, but for us as a country as well. You well, you guys have definitely been thinking about this over the last bunch of years. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering how it's inspired some of your newer music that you've put together. Yeah, that's. Well, one real quick thing before I go into that, and I'll, I'll also toss this to Nathaniel, is we're big believers on what you focus on grows. And if we can reshift and like shape shift the way that we all view America in a more positive way and the things like Nathaniel was saying that, oh, wow, yeah, we all, everyone agrees on taking care of children. Like, yes, this is good. What other things do we agree on and hold space in that realm and put our energy towards that and grow that really cool things can happen here. And um, one way that it's affected our music is I think for us, the tour stripped us down and in a way really served us up a lot of keeping spoonfuls of humble pie. Like it was the most vulnerable thing that we've ever done as individuals and as a couple and the stories that we were sharing with other people were you know out of a place of genuineness like yeah just bearing witness to each other and you know we were in difficult spots the people who were signing the vehicle were having problems and we were just holding space for each other so um one of the songs that comes to mind right off the bat and i'll i'll have nathaniel talk about this a little bit too here is he wrote a song called empires and that's a song that was just released on a south shore christmas that's on spotify and apple music and um, the record and we'll also play it on Friday night at the Acorn Theater but the, that song is really beautiful because it, the opening line of it is talking about 
you know, how I know I'm not worthless, but damn, I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to live up to these empires in my mind. And I love that lyric so much because it's so vulnerable. It really talks about how each of us, you know, we have these big ideals, these big dreams. We want to be, we want to present ourselves in a certain way. You know, you've got Instagram, all this stuff. Everyone shares their best life, but ultimately, you know, these things are making everybody feel like you're less than you're comparing yourself to other people, all the stuff, all the, you know, vacations and things. And I think it's just really beautiful when you get down to it. Um, we're really never alone. We're, we're these beautiful individuals living on this planet together. And we all share a lot in common more than we think. And so that's one song that I really love. And I'm going to have him kind of explain a little behind the scenes on the, the writing of that. Yeah. I think that one of the, biggest things at least growing up for me when I would listen to artists and my favorite musical artists you know it's I think that one of the things that I would always listen to in the song is that I want to believe that whatever that artist is telling me in the song may have actually happened to that artist and I also believe that in order to write great music you have to be ultimately vulnerable and the vulnerability and the experience that we had out on the road in 2016 painted a whole new world for us to be able to pull our experiences from. Also, when we're in a writing session to pull from those experiences to say, you know, hey, I want to explore the time that, you know, we got lost and, you know, looked up at the stars and thought about, you know, our place in the universe is relatively small comparatively to these burning objects that have been around for millions and millions of years. And so I just think that there's a lot of in this new album and even in the Mayflies album, it does kind of look at this temporariness that we have around life, that we're all here and this is all temporary and we all get to choose what it is that, you know, the life that we live and, and the way that we interact with each other is a temporary thing. And we might as well make the most of it because regardless of what you want in life, you're put here on this earth at this time and this is what you get. So I think that a lot of the songs have been heavily influenced just by the personal experiences that we had. Um, when I think about a song called One Mile, it's the same thing. It's all those experiences were things that we went throughout on the road. And I think of like a lot of the Bob Dylan songs that I loved growing up, you know, um, those are experiences that, you know, he had or, or went through. And I think that I hope that the experiences that we went through on the road helped to craft us, you know, uh, basically kind of knit a fabric for us as artists that we can tap into when it comes to writing that ultimately can relate more with our listeners because we've been beaten down and we've made it through a very difficult time in our lives and our careers and we survived it. And we use that as, um, as energy for writing and for putting out new music. And I think that the new albums, uh, you know, are really kind of tapping into that and hopefully giving people a tapestry of the kind of experiences that we went through and the ups and downs and ultimately the opportunity and the uh, optimism that we have about the future, but also, you know, steeped in uh, reality and steeped in the, the fact that, you know, these are not easy times. These are difficult times and we're all making our way through life trying to do the best we can. Yeah, well, that's that's for sure. And, I, you know, you guys have such a positive take on all this. I mean, you know, to have had adversity and then to look at that as a positive of how how you've been able to grow from that adversity 
you know, not everyone's able to do that. You know, they have adversity and they just wallow in the adversity. And so to be able to, to show people that, uh, you know, yes, we have adversity. We've had, you know, we've had to be vulnerable. We've had problems. Uh, and yet, you know, here we are and we're singing about it and we're celebrating, mm-hmm. you know, these, these uh, tough issues that we've had to deal with and that people continue to deal with. I mean, it doesn't go away, but that yeah. approach to life is um, certainly something that is inspiring. Uh, Thank you. What, uh, what is your usual, um, you know, songwriting uh, uh, approach? You know, obviously you've you've had all these experience. You have material to work with, but uh, you know, how do you do it? Do you do the two of you sit by a piano and just you know try to find a melody and and lyrics, or uh, does one of you come up with lyrics and the other one comes up with a melody? You know, what what happens? Um. So yeah. So basically, there's uh, we approach it in a non-uniform way that's for sure all right so Um, there is no specific plan it just happens (laughs) exactly and so during quarantine um you know i've been writing music my whole life songs melodies lyrics uh poetry i've just had a love and fascination for all those things since i grew up and so i spend a lot of time writing not all that writing ends up being on albums but um during quarantine i wrote about 43 songs oh wow and, uh yeah so it actually created probably two albums worth of music for the bergamot and uh, a solo album as well because there just was other songs that sometimes i write songs that don't, don't make any sense on how they would work with within the bergamot or with a duo situation or a harmony situation so there's a lot of writing that happens that way um, and then when you look back at the previous record, um, we did, uh, uh, tones. And so, and, and sometimes in that way, Jillian would write the melody or a piece of a song. And then I would come in and maybe write a verse or two at a different time. I remember one time we were, you know, this is kind of a classic studio story. We were in the studio and we had, Jillian had written a chorus to a song called Alive, And, um, but it wasn't finished and we were recording it that day. So I literally ran up into the studio, uh, churned out a couple different chords, a couple different ideas, landed on a couple verses, threw it all together. And that afternoon we recorded the song. Um, so, you know, it's, it, and then sometimes we sit down together and write out a whole song like school notes where we, you know, Jillian kind of sings and, and puts together different melodic ideas. And I'm thinking about the melody and also the, the lyrics as well. And, and so it just kind of occurs in different ways. And then Jillian writes on her own as well, um, which is something that she will bring an idea to the table. Maybe it's in a partially completed format or a fully completed format. And we just kind of take it from there. And then piano and guitar it traditionally ends up being written on the guitar and then sometimes transposed over to the piano. Sometimes it is written on the piano, but a little bit more rare. Um, but when I'm writing in the studio, especially during quarantine, I was writing on the bass. I was, you know, I'd start with the bass and then it would be the bass and the drums and then guitar. And then sometimes I start on the guitar. Sometimes I would start with no instruments, just the melody. Um, and so I tried to explore all those different avenue cause, avenues because when you're writing, especially if I'm a guitarist by, you know, I've been playing guitar since I was 10 years old. Um, I have a certain thing that I fall into when I pick up a guitar as far as writing. So sometimes it's nice to not have that instrument in front of me because it challenges me to write using different, I would say, musical muscles that I don't often use. Um, And so 
we really try to come at songwriting from all the different angles because creativity songwriting can be expressed in so many different ways that there's really no uniformity to it and that's a beautiful thing as long as you can somehow make sense of it and uh, and that is obviously the album making process and the production process where you have to actually take a song that maybe was written on a drum you know on the drums and turned it into something that sounds like a cohesive record and that can be a process but the writing is really fun and sometimes all over the place and then you get to the part where you can make the record and that obviously becomes a little bit more buttoned up and strategic but the writing is always a fun and interesting process for sure yeah. do you do your own <coughs> recording or do you uh, ha- go to a particular studio where you do your recording so Nathaniel does a tremendous amount of the recording in our own studio and we also record in London the whole last record we dropped we flew to London we were there for a bit with a fabulous producer and engineer his name's Matt Wiggins he's mixed uh, almost all of Adele's albums and he's one of our favorite people in the whole world so uh. he's also working on this new record with us right now uh, that's that's unbelievable. That that's so that's so nice that you're able to work with such professionals like that. Yeah. The the interesting thing about so to tie that story together, how we even met Matt. So I recorded a song called PDR off our last album, Mayflies. Um, that was recorded in South Bend in my parents' basement, um, just on an on my old kitchen table that I grew up on. And uh, <laughs> when I was like, you know, since I was like, since we moved to South Bend when I was four years old. Um, and wrote it on that kitchen table and produced it out as best as I could. And then I thought, you know, I'd really like to send this out to some of the dream people that I've dreamed of working with. The song turned out really great. And, um, and I sent it out to Matt and his manager got back to me and um, said, you know, I don't know if Matt's going to like this or if Matt's going to want to work with you guys, but it sounds like a cool track and I'll send it on. And four days later, he got back to me and said that Matt did want to work with us and that the song had kind of brought him into the equation. And so, that began a process of a year-long uh, mix that we went through to, to uh, mix that that single. And then we began talking about potentially coming to London. That ultimately took us to London. And then we were able to learn a lot of amazing things, get to meet Matt in person and, and work on the record, Mayflies, that we uh, we were invited to open for One Republic back before quarantine uh, hit us in wow. uh, April May 20. Um, so we were doing great with that record, and we were super excited about it. Um, and then quarantine it and we all know how that went. Yeah. But so when it came time to go back into the studio, which was about 18 months sooner than we had expected because of quarantine, um, we used all the things that we had learned from Matt in London and recorded in different, basically like, uh, closets across the country, uh, <laughs> just getting all these tracks together so that we could make another record because, you know, I think that the battle for us during quarantine, the battle for 2020 for all artists was not to get ahead, but to just stay in the game, to just continue to do your art. And if you could just continue, that was success. You know, um, it wasn't about trying to make a glorious record or traveling to London or getting the dream team together. It was about just continuing somehow through the difficult circumstances to just continue to make music. And that's what this new record is all about. And I think it honestly came out way better than we ever could have dreamed. Uh, and it's through the collaborations with Matt and also the things that we've learned along the way. What's the, Oh, go ahead, Julian. I was going to say, let's face it. uh, 2020 really sucked for everyone. And it was really brutal for the arts in general, especially musicians, because 
we rely on real humans and seats in right. venues. Right. And those were completely shut down. So within a four day period, we lost a year and a half's work worth of work. Oh, right. And all of our income overnight, pretty much. Just being notified. Sorry, we're going to have to end it. We're not going to be able to go with this show. That was a four day period getting all those all those cancellations. Yeah. Oh, man. So what did you guys do during, uh, you know, during the whole quarantine? I, am I correct that you um, did some virtual stuff and, and yeah. uh, continue to play, but just didn't play in front of audiences? Yeah. So what happened is we were actually on our album release tour. So oh. we, we launched that album, thank God, September 2019. And towards September, October, November, December, January, February, March, first week, we made our way to South by Southwest, second week. And the day before South by started, COVID hit. They shut down South by for the first time ever. Yeah, I remember that. And we were, like, stranded in Austin <laughs> because we had a year of dates that, that just, like, got, you know, pulled out from under us. And we had let go of our apartment in Brooklyn because we're like, we're going to be gone for a year. <sighs> oh, my God. Make- so we literally like overnight lost all of our revenue and we were homeless and we had just had shipped all of our vinyls to us for that tour. So we had, you know, thousands of dollars worth of merchandise come to us that day that everything shut down. It was like, wow. it was like magic irony. We literally received our vinyls, thousands of dollars worth of vinyls and we opened them up and basically looked at them and cried. Oh no. <laughs> Well, at least you had a probably a better vehicle than the uh, 2002 station wagon that uh, yeah, we, <laughs> you were able we to travel a, a little bit better. But yes, yeah, we have a much nicer van now that we tour on. <laughs> so then we were like, literally, like, what do we do? Like, where do we go? And I remember just this was like another desperate moment. But I just remember like praying, and I was like, all right, God, like I got nothing. Like, we can't go back. To, we can't go back out east. Like we have no idea what's going on. Like our parents, uh, you know, my, sorry, your room's been rented. You can't come home. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like it's not possible. And you know, parents are a little bit older and, um, my father-in-law's immunocompromised. We had no idea what COVID was like what right. was happening. So we, we couldn't go back to the Midwest, even if we wanted to, it was it didn't feel safe. And so we got a call within 24 hours of that prayer from a patron of ours who, is a good friend, their family now practically. And they said, Hey, get in your van and drive to Sedona. We just moved out of our house two weeks ago. It's empty. You guys can have it until the summer. Uh, we just want to make sure you're safe. And so we literally got in our van and drove like, you know, almost 13 hours to Sedona and we were there for four months. And so we got thrown into Arizona and the, one of the most beautiful places in the world. It is. <laughs> so, yeah. So well- we wrote, from there. And that's the new album came from Arizona. Oh, and I, you know, now you say that I remember your posts about uh, being in Sedona and, uh, you know, I was kind of wondered like, where are they now? How, what's going on over there? Yeah. You know, now it's starting to make a little bit of sense. So you were able to really hunker down and, um, and, uh, and that place is just so magical. I mean, it's, uh, it's truly, there's a, like a vortex of, energy that comes through Sedona. And I remember being there a long time ago without any even recognition or understanding of, you know, energies and, and uh, that kind of, and, and to have felt it so strongly, the very first 
time I got there, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Oh, and yeah. It's uh, it's a real, pl- you know, it's a real thing at that place. It's just it's, such an interesting it's, space. It's the real deal. It is one of the most unique places for sure in America. I mean, you'd step outside and we've been all over the world. We've toured all over, over in Europe and different, you know, in Italy and all these places and stuff. I, to this day, like, our time in Sedona, the four months we were there during the beginning of COVID, we, uh, you'd step outside and you'd look up at the stars and there is nothing like that. The only yeah. thing that slightly compared was uh, north of Traverse City on a peninsula, peninsula called Leelanau. Sometimes you could look up and see the Milky Way, but the clarity because of the arid desert air is like... Right. It's unbelievable. So it was very inspiring. And thank God, because we were having such a low moment, we were getting ready to do some of the biggest stuff we've ever done. And then that was all gone. And so we were like mourning that and we couldn't be by our family. We were literally like on a island, like we would just go out once a week to get groceries and then come back. And like, yeah. which was, which thank God we were with each other because we're best friends and we love each other. So it was wonderful. But like, it was still like we were both mourning the loss of, you know, the rest of the our world. Tours. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, so fortunate that you had such a uh, comfy little cloud to, to hang out yeah. in during that period yeah. of time. You know, before we get off the, off the, the, uh, the interview, I do want to retouch on your, you know, origin story with each other, because I find it, it's such a special story, you know, with the teacher introducing you and all that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I remember so, it, but I don't want to be the one to that, tell it. <laughs> no, that, this is good. This is good that you remember. That's a good memory right there. So for anyone who doesn't have, hasn't heard of us before, um, we met in high school. I was 15 and Nathaniel was 17. And our art teacher, Kitty Gunty, she had both of us, not in the same class, but in different classes. And she kept nudging us hey you know there's there's a senior his name's you know nathan hoff and i think you guys could really write a song together you know i I know you like music and singing and he plays all these instruments and enjoys singing and songwriting and she kept pushing both of us to write a song together and her whole angle (laughs) was that we would submit it to the uh there was like a big statewide competition for high schoolers and represent marion essentially as Uh songwriters and so we decided after so many weeks, maybe even like over a month of her being like, Hey, you really need to hang out with this guy. Hey, you really need to hang out with this girl. We just were like, okay, you know what? She's not giving this up. So we should probably write this song together. (laughs) So like we ended up uh, going over to his, I went over to his house and he had like this small studio set up and this was like 2003. So, he was very techy for the times given like <laughs> it just was not like nobody did this yeah. back then this was not normal and i remember going in his basement and he had like this corner and he had like this huge computer and like a little you know like mixing board thing and and he's like all right well uh like what do you have and i was like well i have some lyrics and a melody and he's like okay cool he's like i, I can like handle the music and the recording and so we started hanging out And then we started like having a great time together. And I, you know, I also asked him to give me guitar lessons. Now, nobody sees me on stage playing guitar, 
which means that either he's a terrible teacher or I was like the worst student. And <laughs> um, we ended up, you know, we all ended up coming to the agreement that I was a really bad student. <laughs> so like, I remember one of the last lessons, um, he looked at me and he was like, Hey, you know what? Like, do you just want to go get a milkshake? And I was like, yeah, that's probably a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was the pickup line after uh, six weeks of working on songs together, Nathaniel. Yep. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, it was like, gosh, I mean, uh, growing up in South Bend, you know, uh, Steak and Shake was always like the uh, the go-to spot because there was one on the south side and one on the north side. <laughs> and uh, so that was the uh, that was the go-to. So. We uh, we got some milkshakes and that and just it was a, just a chance to, to talk and uh, and oh, to love. Outs- yeah and outside the presence of your parents and the other in the living room yeah exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know and I was lucky for I, I have to be honest I was lucky for the music because I was into Jillian right away but I don't think she was uh, <laughs> sold on the whole uh, right I remember that part uh, of the story thing. too and so uh, but well, hold on. you you know what like he's so sweet and cute and crucible now. And he was all those things back then, but it was hidden behind him being extremely and painfully awkward uh-huh. and shy. <laughs> so, like, it's a little bit of, like, hanging out. And I was like, ah, oh, he's cool. But, like, at first I was like, man, this guy is really shy. Like, he doesn't really say much. <laughs> so I, was, I was more interested in his best friend because he was, his best friend was, like, this real extrovert, really funny, outgoing. I was like, oh, this guy's really fun. But then the more I hung out with him, I was like, oh, you know, Nathaniel, he's actually really cool. It's he's just he's a great songwriter. He's a great songwriter. <laughs> I really like his song. So did you win the competition? You know what? We made it into the top 10 out of all the high schools That's in That's great. In Indiana. Wow. So we didn't win, but... Um, did pretty you know, well. It, we did pretty well. It was our. It, we were terrified. Hey, we go with the saying: "It was close enough for rock and roll." We, uh, there you we go. Yeah. Time, and we experienced everything that we needed to, even though the wind wasn't part of our uh, destiny. No, there but that's okay. You, yeah, exactly. So uh, at the Acorn this Friday, who uh, who's gonna be playing with you? What's the set? Oh my! Yeah, we're really excited. We're gonna have Jordan Schwartzendruber on the stand-up bass. We're going to have Cameron Nagel on the drums and our friend Chris Brownlee on the saxophone. Oh, yeah. Chris played with you guys um, in 2019, too, I recall. That's right. There's a little yeah. shout out to him during one of the songs. There is, and he's back. And we're actually uh, really excited. We're going to see them all in about a hour from now, and we're going into rehearsals this week. We just flew in from uh, – we were in Vegas – and then we were in Phoenix, and we just flew in from Phoenix on Sunday night. Oh, awesome. So do you uh, work with people at the location where you're going to be playing, um, you know, where you're going to be playing, or do you tour with yep. the band? Okay, so yep. so these so guys you just identified are people from around the Harbor Country area who you exactly. pull together to play with you in this in this region, I guess. Or where else are you going to yeah. be playing while you're in the Chicago area or the you know, Midwest, I guess. Exactly. So this band here, uh, they're like our super band. We, we love these guys. We go way back. We've been performing with, uh, Jordan and Cameron for years and years now. I don't even know how many years it's been, uh, 
maybe five or six years. And then uh, Chris Brownlee, first time we ever performed was 2019. So this will be our second time playing with him. And he's super pro, just unbelievable. Like, I, I can't even wait. It, it makes me giddy thinking about the saxophone on stage again, because it's something that just adds so much. And he's so dynamic. And that's very difficult to find. So, um, and then out West, we've got bandmates that we work with, that we love working with. Um, yeah, it's just going to be good vibes and, and something that's really special after, you know, almost, well, almost two years. The last time we stepped on stage was 2019. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be a great time. The Acorns is a special theater, as you guys know. It's yeah. intimate, but also it's got this depth and warmth and character that you really will be hard-pressed to find in other spots in America. It's very cozy. It just feels good on that stage. It sounds great. We're going to have one of our favorite sound engineers, Evan. Margo. Evan Margle? Oh, yeah. Yes. We know Evan. Yep. <laughs> it's one of Adam's good friends, by yeah, the way. it is. Uh-huh. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. so... He, like, like right when we booked this, we were like, hey, you know, we're putting in a, requ- a request really early. We want Evan on our board. We love him. Oh, great. Cool. So uh, where, um, where are you guys going after the Acorn? Just staying in the area or going back out west? Or what are you guys up to? Yeah. So after the Acorn, we have a uh, stripped-down duo concert happening in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which we're really excited about. And that'll be a night of stories and just um, – I think that one's actually going to be really unplugged. So very, very intimate in this like Norwegian barn in Fort Wayne. And then uh, after that, we've got a couple private shows outside of Chicago. And then we um, we've got a show in Phoenix. And then we head back out west after Christmas. Outstanding. Well, I'm going to close this out with uh, a song. And um, you had mentioned the song Empires. Uh, Tell us about that, and I'll, I'll close us out with that song. Yeah, yeah. So um, Empires is uh, an ode to a family dog uh, named Eli, who was truly man's best friend. And um, it just kind of explores the idea that when you look at life, we it doesn't matter who you are or where it is you come from, whether or not you run or what it is you're running from, all we need and all we want is to know in life that we're not alone. And um, And I think that as Eli was getting ready to transition in the next life, um, he actually was sitting at my foot uh, when I wrote the whole song. And it was kind of this song that I wrote to him is like, you know, throughout all of life, we love to make things complicated. We love to be divided and, and yell at each other and scream. But ultimately, it's the simple things in life that bring us some of the most happiness. And whether that be a love from another person or a love from a, an animal or the love of music. Um, love is a simple and amazing thing. And I hope in that song and this song, you're about to hear empires, you're able to connect with that feeling that, you know, if we could just love more, maybe we'd have a better planet that we could be living on. And, uh, and that's what the song is all about. So we hope you enjoy it. Beautiful. From living 
and just stay alive. But I feel like I've known this the whole time. you're running from and all we need 